My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I don't know how much anxiety affects you, but I have seen a growing amount of fear and anxiety in our world today. A lot of people are stressed and they have reached the point where the anxiety level has risen to the point of almost uh, incapacitating some of us. And I think there are, there are a lot of really good reasons to be afraid today. I mean, have you noticed politics? Is there anything going on in Washington that might cause us fear or anxiety? Nothing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, climate change. I noticed some pictures about Venice. My wife and I were in Venice years ago, and I thought, I wonder if my boys will ever get to see Venice. It's sinking. Water's rising. Climate change. Uh, There are all kinds of instability issues in our world today, wars and strife. There are a lot of reasons to be afraid. I mean, natural disasters. One that I've been causing me a lot of anxiety lately is hip-hop. Because I actually like some of Kanye's album, Jesus is King, which kind of threw me for a loop. I didn't think I would. Uh, But my boys listen to hip hop. I mean, I listen to good old 70s rock and roll. That's that's like what God likes. Jesus loved that music. The Eagles were his favorite band. And and then my guys are now raised as American teenagers and their number one style of music is hip hop. I do not know how to process that and all the shame that comes along with that. But that's okay. I'll get over it, hopefully. You know, we have fears in the United States. I just went on and listed current top 10 fears that we have. And uh, these are the fears that we have as uh, citizens in our great nation. Uh, We have these fears, number one, flying. Um, I've been there every once in a while when the turbulence is hitting. I do not like that. You know, I really don't. Uh, Some people are just afraid to get on a plane, but fear of flying is our number one fear. Public speaking, which is what I'm doing right now, okay, public speaking is definitely a fear. Heights, I, oh, I I struggle with heights. It's just one of those things. And I I remember this, I was watching TV the other day with my boys and Up was on that uh, Pixar movie. And I remember being in the theater watching that. When they climb up on the top of that Zeppelin, this is an animated 3D movie, by the way, just so you know, it's flat as, it's just fake, right? And they get up on that Zeppelin and they start to slide down, I just had a panic moment because I'm afraid of heights. I do not enjoy heights. Uh, The dark, fear of the dark, fear of intimacy, that's very real. Some of us fear close relationships, death, fear failure, fear rejection, spiders. Yeah, I just don't like them. I'm glad they exist, but I don't like them. Uh, And then commitment, 
fear of commitment. Now, maybe you've identified a fear on there or a couple, right? Actually, truthfully, my fears, if I were to sum them all up, would be a fear of flying while I'm speaking on the plane because it's high and the lights might go out and I'm close to people I don't know because I might die and there'd be failure and rejection and there just might not be snakes on the plane. It might be spiders, which is a totally different commitment issue, right? So we have a lot of fears. We do. We have a lot of anxiety issues. And I think they're very real. And it just might be that you're here today and you have fear. You have anxiety. It's a very real thing. I remember when I was a high school student, I was a senior in high school and I was on that precipice of the next part of my life. And when you're there and you don't know what you're going to do, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of fear. And I remember thinking as a senior, you know, applying to colleges, thinking about financial aid, thinking about where I was going to live, what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I mean, I had panic moments. I did not know. I thought I was going to be in business, get an MBA, work in San Francisco, you know, commute there from Petaluma where I was from. But I still didn't know what I was going to do because I had to go to the right college. And if you blow that one, you blow the rest of your life, right? Well, at least that was the fear and anxiety in me. I remember sharing that with one of my youth sponsors, and he shared with me a beautiful text to scripture. And uh, it's in the book of Joshua. In fact, I want to put it on the screen here. Um, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Think about that. Here's Joshua. Who's Joshua? Well, he's this general. He's probably 40-ish or more years old, right? Because he made it through the wanderings and he came up out of Egypt so he could be 60. But he's not Moses. Moses is the leader of all leaders. And he's 120 by this. I mean, really old. And he has led everybody through that wilderness experience. He led him out of Egypt and all the miracles and plagues. He had the staff of God. This is Moses, the greatest leader we see in the Old Testament. And he led them to that point where then he's going to die. And God says, hand it over to Joshua. Can you imagine following in the footsteps of Moses? There's a lot of reasons to be fearful. And then not only that, he's commanded to go into the land a foreign territory where they're like, you know, ants and compared to the giants. It's a great prosperous place. And you can read about that. And he was one of the spies that went in. So he knew the obstacles going in and, and not only to go in and invade it, but conquer the whole thing, drive everybody out and divide it. And that he would be that leader, the military leader. You know, there's got to be a lot of fear and anxiety. And you know, there is because four times God says this, be strong and courageous. I thought, that's great. God has to command him to be strong and courageous, right? That's a command. Be strong and courageous. In my, you know, vernacular ours, man up, right? Cowboy up, right? Be strong. Don't, Don't be afraid, he says, and don't be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord your God is with you. And that word Lord is Yahweh, which is the original word we find in the burning bush that Moses experienced, the I am of I am's, the eternal God. And so God says, hey, I'm that same God that was there at the burning bush that initiated the whole process that you're now, you know, going into the next phase of. So be strong and courageous. It's not about you. It's about me. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm still on the throne and I am calling you to do this and I will be with you wherever you go. And 
that youth leader read that to me and I had to process that. I had to, as the Bible says, meditate on that, dwell on that, chew on that, let that absorb into my life and my soul. And I tell you, it changed me. I mean, there were still fears, there were still uncertainties, there were still doubts, there were still questions. But as I walked along, I knew that I wasn't alone. Wherever I went, God was going to be with me because God had a plan. And I was a part of that plan, and he was going to work that out. But he called me not to know the end, but to be strong and courageous. Now, I want to think about that for just a minute. What is it for you? I, I, I like this. I heard this years ago. What is fear? False evidence appearing real. <laughs> That's good. False evidence appearing real. There are a lot of things in our life that can cause us fear. In fact, I would imagine, as I said earlier, some of you have brought that in here. And so do me a favor, just close your eyes and just think about the thing or things that cause you fear right now or anxiety. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's a a, a moment to come. Maybe it's a person Maybe it's a financial situation you find yourself in, a relational situation. What is causing you anxiety right now? Tension, unrest, fear. Now think about that as I read these words. Let them wash over you the truth of God's word to you and to me. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For I am the Lord your God. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Father, I want to pray for us today as we think about your words and the courage of the men and women in the book of Acts. And I'm sure at times we might sit in places like this and think that's good for them because they were there, they saw it, they heard it, they were witnesses, they were eyewitnesses. And we would throw up the butt, but God, my thing, my situation, my person, my tension, my fear, anxiety, And God, may we trust the words that you gave to a man who was going to go in and do some amazing things, lead a nation, who was afraid, who was discouraged. Be strong and courageous. You call us to that today because we are still following the God of all gods, the God who spoke through that burning bush, the God who spoke into our hearts an invitation to follow you. You're still there and you're still strong. In your name we pray, amen. Well, I love movies that have moments of courage and bravery. I love that. There's something about that, about the duty and the honor. Uh, I, I was sitting down, I wrote a couple of them here. I thought about them. I thought about Hacksaw Ridge. Okay, that's a super challenging movie. I was, my boys, my wife and I, we saw it together. That was a movie of incredible courage in the face of what most men would just falter through because of all the obstacles. Of a man without a weapon rescuing dozens upon dozens of people caught in the crossfire. That you would boldly rush in 
without a weapon because of your firm convictions and you would rescue people who everybody else had written off as dead and unreachable. That's courage. Uh, Movies like Schindler's List, we watched that as a family not long ago. That you would maybe at one point for your own gain pursue something, but wake up one day and you begin to see what reality is and shift all your priorities to rescue people, to save people, to spend everything you have and to risk your very life to rescue people that would be doomed. Movies like Saving Private Ryan, that you would storm a beach in Normandy amidst incredible gunfire and artillery fire, and that you would go on a rescue mission to find someone. Movies like The Patriot, Gladiator, Braveheart. Yes, these are all war movies, okay? Or like Luther. I don't know if you've seen Luther, that great uh, movie on Martin Luther, that you would stand there and you would say in the midst of what could be certain death and say, I will not by any means recant. I will not deny what the scripture clearly says. Here's where I stand. So help me God, I will die if it means it because God's word is true. There's no other way for me to go. That's bravery. That's courage. Where do you get that kind of courage? And in particular, as we've been reading through the book of Acts and seeing on the weekends, there's a lot of pretty famous stories that we've seen and we've processed. So we're going to see the rest of them as we go on throughout the year. We'll take a break for Advent, but we're going to see some pretty courageous moments. Some men and women who left everything to follow Jesus. And then even when he was gone, they just kept repeating that. And, And they would go to their death in many seasons, in many situations, because they were on fire for Jesus. What would that do for you and me today if we could read their stories and say, I want that kind of courage, God. I want that kind of heroism. I want that kind of bravery in the midst of sharing the message of Jesus, because these men and women did it. Now, if you followed along with this in the book of Acts, uh, Jesus is there at the beginning and then he ascends up. He gave him the command, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So you're going to spread it around the world. You're going to tell everybody what you've seen and heard about me. And then that's what they do. Holy Spirit comes down in Acts chapter two. Peter preaches this great message. 3,000 people come to faith. The church is born. It explodes. They're meeting all the time in the big temple area and then house to house. So they got big church and small church and they're serving and they're giving And then uh, they're healing people. Great story where a guy is healed and jumps up and down. And it's just phenomenal. And and then they're brought in and they're said, never talk about Jesus again. And like, we're not going to obey you, right? We can't keep quiet the things we've seen and heard. Well, this is the point where we see persecution begin. Where we see it get to the point where it's going to be uh, dangerous and ultimately illegal to share the message about Jesus. And what would you do in that situation? What would you do in that set of circumstances where everybody around you said, just don't talk about that. You can talk about anything you want, but you are not allowed to talk about Jesus. What would you do? Well, these people said, we're just going to talk about Jesus because that's everything to us. In spite of maybe certain death. 
Well, we're going to jump into the story, and as we jump into this story, uh, it is a long story, and I'm just going to read through the whole thing and get to the end, jump back and make a couple comments, and we'll be done, all right? And so if you have your Bible, we're, we're in this passage in Acts, and it is a lot. It's Acts 5, 12 to 42, so it's a lot. I want to show it up here on the screen, and so I'm just going to read through it, make a couple comments, and we'll come back to one section. The apostles, this, and in, in this situation, Peter, James, John, and those you know, disciples of Jesus, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. If you were here with us some weeks ago, I showed that to you where that was in the temple compound. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. The church is exploding. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's, <laughs> this is weird, shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Can you imagine that? Later, there's a handkerchief story about Paul. It's like, just give him the handkerchief. I'm too busy right now to go. Just, here's, here, um, just, just do this one. Here, this will heal him. I'm like, what? That's crazy. Peter's shadow. Now, we don't know whether that actually, Peter's shadow healed him or Peter's presence, or they just superstitiously thought, this guy's amazing. But that's how much unbelievable stuff was going on in the church at this time. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits. That's the junior highs, hires in the group. And they were all healed. The high priest and his, hey, I was a youth pastor. I know this works. The high priest and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? You're there in prison. You know, you're like, I don't know, singing for Jesus, whatever you're doing, you're in prison. All of a sudden the door opens up and it's an angel. All right. It's an angel of the Lord. They had seen angels stand there when they're looking up in the sky, like these angels. What are you guys looking at? We're looking at Jesus. Well, he's going to come back. Get work, get busy, right? Do this stuff, right? So they had seen angels before. So an angel opens the door, right? Uh, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, the jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. This is cool. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priests heard this, they were perplexed, wondering what would it, you know, where would it all end? Uh, we know where it all ends, right? Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people, all right? The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. This, I love this. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. They're not even saying his name, right? Not even gonna mention that name. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. Yeah, because you are, okay? <laughs> all right, talk about guilt. He goes on, but Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses. That's what we are. We've seen it. We've heard it. We can't stop talking about it. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. 
When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. When you read the book of Acts and when you read the gospels, you wonder why are these religious people so, I'm going to say hellbent because that's really what it was, on killing Jesus and the disciples, the apostles, because they were afraid of losing everything they had. They were more content with their religion than actually having a relationship with God. Don't do that, my friends. Don't have a religion that is maybe even coming to church. Don't do that. Come to Christ. Have a relationship with him. It's not about the things you know or the activities. It's about it you having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ as your savior. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, men of Israel, take care of what you're planning to do with these men. Some time ago, there was this fellow Theodos who pretended to be someone great. About 400 others joined him, but he was killed and all his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is leave these men alone. That's good. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. I love that. Isn't that cool? In fact, if anybody ever says to you, would you just shut up about Jesus? You know, for 2,000 years, people have decided to not shut up about Jesus. And if it was just a a normal thing, a normal guy, we're going to make him to be great and nice sayings and we kind of embellish the text and write something and we all see him as something that he's not really and now all of a sudden this myth grows up that he's the savior of everything. Guess what? It's just going to go away. But for 2,000 years, it hasn't gone away. It's only increased in size. Why? Because this is God's truth, God's message, God's mission, and anybody that fights against it fights against God. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. To flog means to be whipped. And you were, uh, as a Jewish person in this leadership, only allowed to flog 39 times because 40 lashes was the equivalent of death. So the apostles were whipped. They were beaten. They were flogged. Okay. This is pretty significant. This is painful. And they were beaten and they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing. That is crazy. They were rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That they they weren't like, woe is me. They weren't, oh, the world's falling apart. How unfair of you, God. This is, we get to experience some of the suffering that Jesus experienced. Later on in the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote to this church, he says, I want to experience that. I mean, he had been, but I want to experience even his death and that resurrection power. I want to taste what Jesus tasted for me. And they got to taste that. Now, I don't know what kind of opposition, what kind of suffering or pain or discrimination you've experienced. And I I probably am going to say persecution, but I doubt any of us have experienced true persecution for following Jesus. Do you count yourself worthy? Do Do you stand up and go, this is awesome? They rejoiced that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one we have been waiting for. 
So, so far in our story through the book of Acts, things have been peaceful. All the growth arrows have been up. Everything is exciting. Today begins the turn where they are beginning to be persecuted for the name of Jesus. They are going to experience discrimination for following Jesus. They are going to experience suffering to the point of death, and they're going to scatter because of this. But it's all a part of God's plan. And we're going to see that in weeks to come, that God has a marvelous plan. And I believe that's true for you as well, that he wants you to speak the name of Jesus, to be a witness, an eyewitness, that you, all you need to do is tell people what you've seen and what you've heard, your story about Jesus and tell Jesus' story and just do that. And you will experience some persecution. Don't be a jerk. Don't be an idiot. Don't be rude. Be loving and tactful. But be passionate about sharing about Jesus and any persecution or any kind of suffering that comes as a result of that. You're just kind of filling up some of that suffering of Christ, as the New Testament says. We see faith and courage and boldness. How did they get there? How did they experience this? Early followers of Jesus Christ, history tells us, faced incredible opposition, persecution, suffering, and death. And they did it all with incredible courage. History tells us the first 300 years of the church, millions upon millions of people died for Christ. There were at least 10 large-scale persecutions of Christianity where the emperors, the religious leaders, those that had other motives said, these people have to go. And there were several times during those 300 years when it was actually illegal to call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. About 100 years out of that 300 years, it was illegal to be a Christian. And yet history tells us that Christians died praying for their executioners. They sang songs as they were being tortured. They worshiped God as their bodies were being torn apart by the animals. That they hung on crosses and died along the streets that lined the roads to go into Rome. And they testified about the Savior they were dying for. Where did they get that kind of heroic courage in the midst of such opposition and danger? And is there any way to get some of that courage today? Uh, I want to go back to this one section, and it's verses 29 to 30. I think it's just beautiful here. This is what we've already read, but let me recount here. But Peter and the apostles replied, so standing before the Sanhedrin, the, the religious ruling body, the elders of Israel, we must obey God rather than any human authority. You say one thing, but God says another. God trumps your laws, in other words. This is what we do here. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. Now, Every once in a while, when you're kind of digging around and you're studying, uh, some things pop up. And I want to share some things that popped up to me on the journey of this. If you remember back a few weeks ago, I was sharing how in the book of Acts chapter 3, Peter was talking about Jesus and to these, to these religious people and said, you killed the author of life. That is a phenomenal, beautiful statement the author of life, that Jesus is the author, the originator of life. Well, I want to highlight one word first. It's the word savior. We know what the word savior is, soter. It's the savior. Jesus saves us from our sin. He rescues us. We're drowning and he pulls us out. That's what it means to have a relationship with God is to call on Jesus as your savior. 
if you're uh, in AA or NA or any of those A's, you know the first step is to admit you're powerless, right? And to say, I am powerless over this. The same thing with salvation. To admit that you're powerless over your sin. You are a slave to sin. You have sinned. You have blown up your life. There's all kinds of destruction in your life. There's all kinds of, um, you know, just, if, if you be honest, just dysfunction in your life. And you have a life filled with sin. That's what the Bible says. And our sin separates us from God. And the only way to be connected to God is not through good works, any kind of good merit things that we might think would impress God, because none of that does. The only thing that impresses God is God. And so Jesus, in the form of God, God comes down and he dies for us. So he is our savior. We know what that word means, soter. If you study theology, it's soteriology. It's the idea of studying this savior, studying our salvation, okay? So we know Jesus is called savior a lot. But have you noticed this other word, this word prince? This is interesting, archigos or arch-ego. Think about it that way. Two Greek words put together, arch-ego. Arch being like big and ego being, you know, like now you got a big ego, okay? Arch-ego, archigos means prince, captain, and author. It's a very interesting, very unique word because it only shows up four times in the New Testament. It shows up twice in Acts, one is author, and one now is prince. And it shows up in the book of Hebrews as well, two times as captain and prince. And so it's a cool word. Now, great, great. You learned a Greek word or two. Wonderful. Now you can go home well-fed. Okay, well, why am I saying that? Because in that culture, a Greek culture, a Greek-Roman culture, everybody had an understanding of the greatest soter archegos. Everybody knew who that was. And in that culture, it wasn't Jesus because Jesus wasn't a part of that culture. In that culture, when you would speak of the ultimate of ultimates, the hero of all heroes, the champion of all champions, everybody knew who you were talking about. You were talking about Hercules. In that culture, Hercules was the hero of all heroes. And you would call him your Soter. You would call him your Archegos. He was the one that everybody spoke about. In fact, if you study history and the basic understanding of Roman and Greek culture, it was based on heroism. It was based on, we might call it idol worship today, but we got the same stuff, right? I mean, how many posters are in kids' rooms of, you know, somebody, right? I, I don't know who it would be a poster in the average child's room or the average teenager's room today. Okay, it could be uh, an athletic star. We got posters of sports stars everywhere. It could be a musician. We have posters of musicians everywhere. It could be another kind of online celebrity. We've got that everywhere. We know that we celebrate people and we tell about their stories. Now, we don't do that in the same way today because when we want to teach about values and honor, we don't teach about the great people of old anymore. I, I, I was part of that when I was a kid. We, you know, I was taught about George Washington and his heroism and his truthfulness and the cherry tree, I guess, was a lie. But I was taught about the idea that here was someone who gave his life for our country. He's a hero to follow. That inspired me to have courage. Abraham Lincoln freeing the slaves, taking us through the Civil War. That inspired me to fight for justice. Martin Luther King Jr., fighting for civil rights. You know, these kind of people in our recent history, Neil Armstrong going all the way, landing on the moon. These are heroes, and it's the idea of you can follow people as we put them up. Today we talk about that in the class, maybe values clarification, or let's talk about Johnny and Susie's little fragile self-esteem. And, you know, I don't know what we do today, but we rarely in our culture have good heroes. 
Because where are you going to find a true, honest hero today? In politics? Not at all, right? In sports? No. We're in it for the money and the glory. In music? No. We're in it for the fame. Where are our heroes? And so we don't have a lot of heroes to prop up. To say, you know, sons, daughters, those are people that went before us. And those are people you should aspire to be like. They did that a lot in the Greek and Roman culture. And the ultimate hero of all heroes was Hercules. A year and a half ago, Pastor Kevin and I had the privilege of going to Turkey and to Greece. And one of the things we saw over and over again were statues to Hercules. Now, Hercules, probably not really being a true guy. It's a myth of Hercules, but it was a powerful myth. We saw these, um, what we would call caskets today, ossuaries, bone boxes, that were adorned with figures of Hercules, meaning this was a strong person or this was his idol. And Hercules was a powerful character. He was the one when you were a little boy you wanted to be like, to grow up to be like Hercules. Now, what the writers here are saying is that you want a real hero? You want a true hero? Do you want to know about the hero of all heroes? It's not some made-up story. It's a God-man named Jesus. The true hero, the true savior, the true prince, the true author, the true originator, the true captain is Jesus who has gone before us. Where did these people get their courage? They got it because they followed the hero of all heroes. There's this beautiful thing. I I wrote this down. You think Hercules is strong? (laughs) Yeah, really cool. Let me tell you about Jesus who calmed the waves, who stilled the waters, who healed and actually brought people back to life. That's a hero, a real hero. Oh yeah, you think you think that you've heard of the power of Hercules and how strong he was. Well, he was just a man. Can I tell you about someone who was so powerful that he would lay his life down and give up his life to save people? That's power. You have seen statues of glory to Hercules. Let me tell you about the true hero, and there's no need for a statue because he lives inside of you. Now in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2, one of these words shows up. He's talking about following the the chapter of faith, chapter 11, all these people of faith. These are the heroes of old, Moses and Abraham and all these people. We follow those people, right, in their footsteps. We run that race of life and we do all of this life of faith. Why? We do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, the author, the captain, O captain of our soul, right? We follow Jesus, the one who went before us, who's the prince, who's the savior, the archegos. He's the greater Hercules, in other words, right? Who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. What he's saying is, you know what, and, and, and we see this in Acts, and, and we may see this. There are believers all around the world that see this today. That, you know, the champion is the one you follow, even though you will suffer. The author of life, he's the one you follow, even though you will experience discrimination because of your love for Jesus. The prince, the captain of our soul, Yeah, you're going to go through some really hard times as a follower of Christ. Do not be surprised when you walk in to relationships, 
or into jobs or into schools. And people say, you can talk about anything, but you can't talk about Jesus. And to which you should say, uh, you judge whether it's right to obey you, but I've already decided I'm going to obey God rather than you because I'm following the champion. I'm following the author. I am following the perfecter. I am following the one who gave me life. I am following the best hero. And we don't have posters of them and that's okay, but I'm following the hero of heroes because I have already decided that all the courage I need has already been established in Jesus Christ. Where do you get your courage? Well, from heroes of old, the biggest being Jesus. I picked this up not long ago. This is a union um, scabbard and bayonet from the Civil War. And if you know anything about a bayonet and you know what it's used for, it's for close combat. I want to tell you a story about fixing bayonets. I read it here years ago on a Father's Day. It's a story that should inspire you of heroism. Think about this. Joshua Chamberlain, he was a school teacher who was in one of the most critical battles of the Civil War. He was placed on this hill called Little Round Top, about three quarters up the hill at Gettysburg on July 2nd, 1863. And he was told, whatever you do, don't lose this hill. Whatever you do, do not leave this location. The enemy will attempt to come through your line and cut you down. You cannot let that happen. If so, they will gain the high ground and they will wipe us all out. Chamberlain was just a 34-year-old teacher. He knew nothing about military or battle tactics. He was a colonel because he was one of the first men from his hometown to volunteer. He spent that entire morning and afternoon with his men of the 20th Maine Regiment laying up a rock wall about a waist high and 110 yards long. At 2.30 in the afternoon, the 15th and 42nd Alabama Regiments charged up the hill, attempting to flank the Union position. Chamberlain and his men of the 20th Maine, they pushed them back. This happened four more times. Five charges in a row they repelled until they were finally out of all ammunition. They knew they were indefensible, and the next charge up the hill would be their last. The sergeant gave them the word that they were all out of ammunition. Looking down at his men, Chamberlain stood there and gave the command, fix bayonets. The men simply stared at him in disbelief. He said, we'll have the advantage of moving downhill. Chamberlain said, fix bayonets now. We will execute a great right wheel of the entire regiment. Swing the left first. Now, all of his men had been thinking they were going to run or retreat. Lieutenant Melcher, who was the flag bearer, asked, what is a great right wheel? His sergeant said, this crazy man is fixing to charge. Before anybody could argue with Chamberlain and before anything could be done, Chamberlain was up on the wall screaming to his men to fix bayonets. Before they could figure out what was happening, Chamberlain was charging down the hill. With a power born of righteousness and fear, this schoolteacher from Maine roared, charge, 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 to his men, and they did. The 20th Maine charged down the hill with a left wheel, left wing wheeling continuously to make a charging line swing like a hinge, creating a simultaneous frontal assault and flank maneuver. Meanwhile, the Confederates were halfway up the hill, forming their sixth charge. When Chamberlain and his men tumbled over the wall, the Confederates looked up and thought the enemy had been reinforced. And after repeatedly firing upon them, Chamberlain charged with his men down the hill, and he placed his sword on the neck of an Alabama captain and said, you, sir, are my prisoner. The man was so confused, he said, yes, sir, I am. 
Most of the Confederates threw their guns down and ran. Chamberlain, with his 80 men without any ammunition, captured 400 fully armed men. Historians say that had Chamberlain not charged, fixed bayonets, and held the hill, the South would have won at Gettysburg. Then they say that if the South had won at Gettysburg, then the South would have won the Civil War. That was the defining battle. And it would have been over by the end of summer. Now, we know that if the South had won the war, we wouldn't just be a nation divided north and south. We would have been splintered. We would have probably, historians say, had the north and the south and Louisiana and Texas, California, Oregon territories. In essence, we would not be a United States of America. Now, today... If this 34-year-old school teacher had not fixed bayonets and charged with no ammunition, we would be a continent of 9 to 13 countries, which means that when Hitler swept across Europe, there would have not been a United States of America to stand in the breach, which means that when Emperor Hirohito systematically invaded the South Pacific Islands, there would not have been a United States of America to stand in the breach. And so it's fair to say that that one 34-year-old school teacher from Maine made a difference in our lives 150 years ago. Now... Here's what I want to say. You can read about him. It's, it's a phenomenal story. Because of this text, I ask myself, why did these apostles, why did these simple disciples and followers of Jesus charge in the midst of danger? Why did they just run into what would be their last? Well, because they were following Jesus who had done the very same thing. Why were they not afraid of death? Because they were following their hero who was not afraid to die. Why would they give their lives for this gospel message of salvation through Christ? Because they were following their leader who jumped up on that wall and said, charge. You and I are called, in a metaphorical sense, to fix bayonets and to go forward and to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will be fired upon we might be fired. We will be attacked. We will be slandered. But we have the advantage. Our Savior has already gone before us. And he has invited us to follow in his steps. I want to show you a video of the last couple weekends of people that have come to faith in Christ and that have been baptized in obedience to the words of Jesus Why are we baptized? Because we follow someone who was baptized and who said, get baptized. And so we follow our Savior, Jesus Christ, who's gone before us. And I want to show you this video of those who have been brave and courageous to follow the hero of all heroes. Let's celebrate together this video. Brandon, uh, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And have you given your life to him? Yes. Well, with that, it's our privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm an alcoholic, and I've recently joined AA and became saved there. Have you uh, repented of your sin? Yes. And trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Savior? Yes. Based on your confession of faith, Jesus is going to baptize you. Baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Colin Mitchell, have you turned from your own ways and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only Savior and Lord? Yes. Uh, Based on your confession of faith, Jesus is going to baptize you. 
I walk around. All right, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Based on your confession of faith, Jesus will baptize. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Tiff is here to get baptized today. So, so who who do you believe in, Tiff? Uh, Jesus. Jesus. And and why are you here today? Do you know? So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we baptize you. So Raphael, we baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. pretty dark past and when I met my wife we decided it was a good idea to start coming to church and listening to Pastor James it has helped me along with my wife find uh, the faith find Jesus in my heart that I've been searching for for a very long time and I've finally found him here I do believe that Jesus died on the cross for me I've surrendered myself to Jesus Christ and I'm happy It's our privilege and honor to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.